If you would, would you open your Bibles to Galatians? We're going to be in chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 15 through 21 this morning. I'm going to read from the, the NIV. I'm going to start in verse, uh, let's see, I'll start in verse 11 for, for some context. The word of God speaks to us this way. When Cephas, that's, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Jesus Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Let's pray. Father, as we open up your word this morning, um, we pray that you would, you would speak to us. Your word is living, it's active, and it pierces our souls where we most desperately need it, and that's what we are asking you to do today. Father, speak through me, give me um, clarity in my speech. Give me power in my words. May the, the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you and beneficial to your church. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this paragraph in Paul's letter to the church in Galatia records one of the most trying times in the New Testament church. When two of the the leading authorities, two of the leaders of the church, Paul and Peter, they, they come into conflict with each other over Peter's uh, disobedience, for Peter's sin, his blatant sin, really. So Peter was at the church in Antioch, and by all accounts, everything was going great. great. People were getting converted. The church was getting built. Um, he was fellowshipping with, with Gentiles, that, that would be the, the non-Jewish Christians. But Paul says when certain Jewish Christians showed up to the church, 
Peter began to disfellowship with the Gentiles because he was afraid of the consequences he would face by those Jewish Christians. And Paul, being Paul, right, he was not happy about this at all. The text says Paul opposed Peter to his face because of Peter's his hypocrisy, because of Peter cowering to the, to the pressure of, of certain individuals. But this morning, I want us to focus our attention on, on the latter half of, of Paul's re- response to the situation. Because Paul's response to Peter, right, I think it's actually the thesis or the, the, the main idea, the most important part of the whole letter of Galatians. And it's found in verse 16. I'll read it for us again. It says, We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by the works of the law no one will be justified. So Paul is essentially, he's just saying the same thing in in three different ways. He's saying no amount of obeying the law, no amount of of acting a certain way, no, no amount of living a moral life can justify you. Can, can save you. The only way to be justified, to be saved, to gain salvation is through having faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Which if you're, if you're taking notes, this is the, the first point, is that justification or salvation can only come, can only come through faith in Jesus Christ alone. So justification is kind of an odd term. It's, a, it's, a, it's typically a, a, a legal term. We use it a lot in church because they, they use it a lot in the New Testament. And theologically, justification just means the action of declaring or making righteous in the sight of God. I'll repeat that. The, the justification is the action of declaring or making righteous in the sight of God. So Paul is saying, get this, that the only way to be declared righteous by God, the only way to be made right with God, is through faith in Christ. And this is astonishing for a couple of reasons, because I think by our nature, we think the way to be made right with God is, or the way, the way to be made right with anybody, with someone you have an issue with, issue with is by doing something for them or by repaying them. So if you owe a huge debt to someone or you, you, you owe someone anything, just something, the logical thing I think for us to think is that you need to, to work to repay that debt. Yet with God, with our God, it isn't like that at all. The Bible says we have a debt that we could never afford. In other words, all of humanity, all of us are condemned in the sight of God because the moment you commit one sin, the moment you break one commandment, that that sin, that disobedience, Scripture says it alienates you from God and that sin must be punished because of God's justice. So all of humanity... All of us are in terrible, desperate shape. And the tendencies humans have 
when, when we hear about this debt we have before God, about this sin debt, when we hear that, that we stand condemned before a holy and perfect God who is just to judge us, the first thing we do is we try to work to be made right with him. We try to do something. We try to, to obey certain rules. The Jewish people whom Paul would be speaking to, they, they attained the law from God in the, in, in the Old Testament. They had to obey that law so, so they could be in right relationship with God. And Paul is saying, listen, it's impossible, it is impossible to be made right with God by obeying the law. You can't work your way to right standing with God. You can't obey your way to to right standing with God. You can't be a good enough person for God to look at you and be like, oh, this one, this one is just so great. I have to love this one. I have to save this one. It doesn't work that way. The best human beings that you could ever think of, the the nicest, the, the sweetest people, when you think about them, you're just like, man, that person is just a genuinely a good person. I hope my kids are like that person. Scripture would say even those people that you're thinking of. They stand condemned before God because of their actions. And here's the point Paul is making. We don't need to, to, to get our life in order or, or obey certain rules or, or do certain things to be made right with God. We need a substitute. We needed someone to do it for us, to live the life we couldn't and to, and to die the death that we deserve and that is exactly who Jesus Christ is. He is our substitute. And only by faith, by trusting in that substitute, in that Jesus, can you be made right with God. And this is probably one of the, uh, one of the top five most important truths in all of Scripture. Martin Luther, the, the famous monk, he lived about 500 years ago. He began a series of reforms in the, the Catholic Church. Um, he said that this belief right here that we're studying, it's what he called justifi- justification by grace alone through, through faith alone. He said this is the single most important belief that holds up the entire Christian church. And I think he's right. But the question I want to ask is why? Why does this matter? Why why does it matter so much to Paul that he feels the need to rebuke Peter? Right? Peter's no no bum, right? Peter is an apostle who, who lived with Jesus. Right? Jesus said, This is the rock on which I built my church, and Paul felt the need to rebuke that guy because he was getting this wrong. And I think the reason is. Because this truth is the entire basis of our faith. It's the entire basis of our religion. It is the foundation of Christianity. You can't have the gospel. You can't have the good news without this belief that we are justified before God only through faith in Jesus. Because every other religion in the world, it teaches some way for man to do something, to perform an act, to obey certain rules, to be made right with God. 
But the truth of the gospel is found in this, that there are, there are no rules you could follow. There's no rules we could follow. There's no act we could perform that could save us. The only way to be made right with God is by trusting Him, putting your faith in Jesus who lived the perfect life we couldn't and died the death we should have died. And that's it. That's final. If you believe in that, Scripture says you are justified. You are righteous in God's eyes. There's no, there's no tricks. There's no gadgets. There's no magic. No, no bat, baptism that you have to do. No Bible study you have to attend. No, no, no church that you have to join. None of that can save you. Only trusting in Jesus can. And the reason why this is the, the single most important truth for the church is that the church, I think, sadly, often forgets this. And we have, to, we have to fight for this belief. We have to fight for this truth. Because we lose the power of the gospel. The, we lose the power of Jesus' saving work when we do not teach this, when we do not believe this. So there's a danger for all of us to to begin to believe things like, like, you need to put your trust in Jesus and do something else to be made right with God. So that was the issue with the Jewish Christians in this passage. They said, you had to trust in Jesus and obey the Jewish law. And this hasn't left the church today. We, we don't have to obey the Jewish law, but there's, there's certain things that certain Christians, certain churches will try to teach. Maybe it's you have to trust in Jesus and get baptized to be saved. You have to trust in Jesus and join this church to be saved. Or you have to trust in Jesus and fill in the blank. Paul says right here, you have to trust in Jesus alone. Nothing else. Nothing else. Only faith in Jesus can justify you. So when you, when you stand before God on his throne in heaven, when he, when he looks at you, he will say, this one, this one is righteous. This one is perfect. Not because of what they did or, or didn't do, but because of their faith in the perfect one. And when we lose that belief, when, when we begin straying from teaching that truth and trying to add on to the grace of Jesus, we lose all the power of the gospel and our ministries will suffer. Paul anticipates an objection to this belief in verse 17 that I still think it, this, this belief exists today. I still hear it today. And it goes something like, if you teach this or, or you believe this belief that, that justification or salvation comes through faith in Jesus alone, then you are going to promote sin. So the belief is if people don't have an incentive to behave rightly, then they will behave wrongly. They believe that you can't teach or believe this truth, justification by faith alone, because essentially people will just say they trust in Jesus, and then they'll just go on sinning. And listen, this really is a, a great danger. If I'm honest, I, 
I've struggled most of my early Christian walk with this lie. I had the thought, well, if I'm made right with God just by trusting in Jesus, if I'm going to heaven, well, I might, just, might as well just enjoy life here. And if I'm honest, that's how many of my actions played out in the early years of my Christian faith. If all I had to do to be made right with God is trust in Jesus, then I can live how I want to. That is a complete and utter lie. And we're going to talk about how dangerous and and stupid that is. But Paul's response to this objection, I want us to focus on that first, it's extremely interesting because, yes, people abuse this truth. Uh, People abuse the grace of God to promote their own sinful lifestyles. But Paul doesn't for a second blame the truth. He doesn't blame the the doctrine. Paul says, actually, anybody that says justification or salvation comes from anything else besides faith in Jesus is actually the lawbreaker. In other words, he's saying the sinners are also the ones who make up the rules or the actions that people have to follow to be made right with God. And this is the opposite of the way people think. Because I think people think that, that Christianity is mainly about moral behavior change or behavior modification. So when I tell people I'm a youth pastor here at FBC, I really have only gotten one response, and it's very similar. It goes something like, oh, that's so great that you do that. Because the youth... They really need the church so that they can act right and and become good people. And I just want to scream, that's not primarily what I want to do in our youth group or in this church. But the belief these people have, and I think a lot of people do, is that Christianity is primarily about becoming a better person by becoming a more moral person. And that might be why you're here, if you're honest. To get your life in order. To to save your marriage. To become a better person. And listen to me. If you become a better person, and you, you behave rightly, which is entirely possible, but you don't have Jesus then we've completely failed as a church. Because I want you to trust in Christ. I want you to put your faith in Jesus Christ alone because regardless of all those other things, trusting in Jesus is the only thing that will save you. So Christianity is not primarily about behavior modification. It's about sinners Trusting in the sinless one who washes us white as snow. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. But, but Paul addresses the question, does this belief promote sin? And does this belief promote sinful lifestyles? I love his response. We see it in verse 17. He just says, absolutely not, with an exclamation mark. The reason why is striking. And I think sometimes, I've I've missed this for a long time. And I think there's a great danger in missing this truth. It's the second point, if you're writing notes. 
When we get saved, when when we're justified, we put our faith in Jesus, we gain a new identity with Christ. We gain a new identity with Christ. And one of the most famous and, and really beautiful passages in the book of Galatians, right? it's right here, verse 18. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And this statement applies to you, Christian. We have been crucified with Christ. We have been crucified with Christ. That is a striking statement that I don't think any of us know entirely what it means. Because it can't mean that we've been physically crucified. Obviously, we're all here living, breathing. We're not dead. But what I think Paul is saying is that Paul's worldly life has been crucified. So before you leave here thinking the way I did as a young Christian, that because your salvation comes from nothing that you do but but is only found in Jesus, that, that because of that you can go live how you want to, you need to understand this truth, which is equally true. That a true Christian, someone that's been transformed by the gospel, someone that has a new identity in Jesus, doesn't live for sinful things anymore. It's impossible. They have been transformed. They have been crucified. And look, I don't know all of you personally. I don't, I don't know what sin you struggle with. And I, and I don't want to discourage you, but if there is a sin you're committing or a sinful lifestyle that you're engaging in that you don't feel bad about or that, that doesn't bother you, that doesn't grieve you, that doesn't cause guilt in your conscience, then it is a sign that something is, is terribly wrong in your faith. Either you're, you're miserable because you're, you're disobeying Christ. Or worse, you might not be a Christian at all. Because the truth of this text is apparent. And we have to get this. Nothing you, nothing you do can save you. But once you've been saved, once you've been justified, once you've been made right before God, your whole identity changes. The sins you used to love, you now start to hate. The things you used to live for, you become less passionate about. Because Christ becomes all in your life. Christ becomes everything to you. A transformation begins to take place. And so Paul would say that the life you live now is lived solely for Jesus who gave himself up for you. So I just want to ask. Honestly, does that characterize your life? Do you live solely for Jesus? Or are there other things that that if you analyze your life, you would admit that there's, there are other things that have your heart's affections? So I think many of us, if we're honest, the answer is no. 
And these things that we, we give our life to, they may not be bad things. They may not be sin. In fact, I know most of you get, like, it, it's not sin. But maybe it's a, your family or, or your spouse, your career, your work life. What is dominating your thoughts and your actions? Because when you grasp this reality of the justification that you are made right by faith alone, that you've been made right with God solely by the actions of Jesus, then your life will change. Your priorities will change. Your passions will change. You will be transformed. And I'm not saying you have to give up your your passions or, or that everybody needs to be sinless. No. God gave you desires, good desires, to provide for your family, to have a family, to have a marriage. All those things are great gifts. But he wants you to pursue those things for his glory. He doesn't want those things to become the ultimate thing in your life, which is called an idol. He doesn't want your emotions... Uh, your decisions, right, based on your emotions to go up and down based on how your relationships are doing in your life. He doesn't want your contentment to be based on how your career is going. He wants you to pursue those things in the proper perspective, understanding that in Christ, in Christ, you are a complete new creation that doesn't find their worth in worldly things. And so the sign of a growing Christian is not necessarily that you're sinless. Because look, Paul, Paul's rebuking Peter here for a pretty heinous sin. The sign of a Christian is that you are upset. You are grieved. You are pained by your sin. You're doing everything in your power trying to kill that sin. Trying to eliminate it from your life because it has been crucified with Christ. The Christian life isn't about perfection. It's about being united with Christ who's perfect. So in his death on the cross so that you now die to your sins, to your earthly passions. And that is, this is really ironic tell the youth this all the time. It makes no sense to me, but it's the word of God. It is the only way to truly live is to kill your earthly passions by killing you so that Christ might be magnified, so that Christ might get the glory in your life. And then the benefit for us is that that's actually the only way we can be satisfied. It's beautiful. It is awesome. It is the gospel. So I just want to end with a few questions. Do you want that? Do you want Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life? Do you want Jesus to have full control of your life? Like we're just saying, Jesus, take all of me. Do you want that honestly? Do you want that transformation, that new identity that leads to eternal life? I pray your answer 
is yes. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, that it is true, um, and that when we trust in it, and when we trust in you, that our lives will bear fruit that is pleasing to you. And so from your word today, God, I pray that um, all of us, all of us would embrace this truth with a, with a closed fist and never stray from this teaching, God, that, that we are made right with you, not because of anything we did or didn't do, but because we put our trust in Jesus who saved us. Make that be the hallmark of our lives. Imprint that on our hearts. Never let us leave that truth. And I pray for those who, who maybe are sitting here and they've never trusted in you, God. Speak to them now. Speak to them now. Show them that there's, there's no act that they have to do. There's no um, thing that they have to do, no thing that they have to say, but just simply cry out to you. And Father, I pray that you change their hearts, that you soften their hearts of stone, and that you would save them. Today is the day of salvation. Maybe they've been going to church for, for decades God, I pray that you would wake them from their slumber and breathe life into them. And I pray for all of us that we would grow and be transformed day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, to look more and more like Jesus. Do whatever you have to do in our lives. Prune what you have to prune in our lives. Kill what sin you have to kill, but we want to look like Jesus. Yes. We pray all this in his name. Amen.